Welcome to this episode of Reddit Guy. The subreddit we will listen to today is called r slash malicious compliance. Our first post of this episode comes from Wiseo Sirius Low L and it's titled I can't use my hoodie as a pillow. I'll just use a blanket instead. Dot. Another tale of my senior year MC. In my senior year, I decided I wanted a fun and chill year, and I tried to stretch the rules as much as I could. One of our dress code policies was you could wear a sweater but it couldn't have a logo on it and you couldn't wear hoodies. I would wear a sweater every day to cover the fact that I wasn't wearing a polo. Once I got caught, I decided I would just start wearing a hoodie. Most of my teachers liked me so they didn't mind it. Once I finished my work for the class, I liked to put my head down. The desks weren't comfortable, so I would wear my hoodie backwards, with the back of my hoodie facing my front, and used the bulk of the hoodie as a pillow to rest my head on. Again, most teachers didn't care, but my maths teacher did. She would get on my case about it daily, and eventually threatened a detention for it. I said I'd take it, but only if she showed me in the student handbook where it says I couldn't wear it. I knew it was in there, I was just being annoying at that point cause I was comfortable. The next day, she came in with a student handbook, pointed to the page where it said I couldn't wear the hoodie, and told me to take it off because, comfort isn't part of the handbook. I complied, but that pissed me off. MC, right after that period, I went to the office and got myself a copy of the student handbook, and spent my lunch and study hall periods reading through it, when I noticed something, they left out any mention of blankets. The next day, I came in and wore my hoodie like normal, but when I got to her class, I took it off and pulled out a fleece blanket. She immediately threatened to send me to the office, and I gave her the same ultimatum, if she could find the rule in the student handbook, I'd gladly go. This time she couldn't find it and gave a defeated laugh, so I spent the period in the most comfort I'd had all year. Once I realized I couldn't get in trouble even if I was sent to the office, I started taking out the blanket in other classes and told the teachers the same thing, it wasn't in the handbook. There was no rule against it. I wasn't disrespectful about it, and would only take it out once I was done with all my work, so my teachers didn't really mind it regardless. Most of them found it funny. This went on for about a month and eventually I got cocky enough to start wrapping it around myself walking through the halls. After a few days, I ran into the principal while wearing it, and he told me to take it off. I said no, there was no rule in the handbook against blankets. Apparently this was too cocky, cause the next morning there was an announcement. They updated the handbook and blankets were no longer allowed in school. The end of an era. TLDR. After using a hoodie as a pillow, a teacher told me comfort isn't part of the handbook. I looked through the handbook and realized there was no rule against blankets. After a month, I got too cocky and the rules were changed. The next post from Lord Ray is titled I did warn you about the squirting. Dot. So when I was a teenager for Christmas one year my mom wanted to line the driveway with luminaries but rather than paper ones she had seen on some craft show how to make them out of old milk gallons. They are those lighted bags or decorations you see sometimes on the street or pathways if you don't know what they are. Maybe mostly a southern thing but yeah Google if you don't know. They do look neat. So we'd been saving these empty gallon milk jugs for months so mom could have her decorations. The thing was you had to modify the jugs by cutting off certain pieces the worst being the top because it was awkward to try and maneuver scissors and leave a clean line. So one night we are working on these jugs and mom sees my jagged edges and says, why don't we use a razor blade? It'll be easier she said. I knew my dad had a box cutter somewhere but I could not find it anywhere in his tool cabinet and he was working late. So I grabbed two spare razor blades without a holder and we went to town using those. 
it was faster and cleaner but it was pretty hard to control the blade while just holding it and then I made a big mistake. I cut towards myself and if you've ever worked a razor blade through plastic of that thickness you know it likes to turn and jump directions if you put the wrong pressure on it. The blade dips down and slides right across the top of my hand. Blood instantly everywhere and I run to the sink and wash it off only see what can only be described as a bloody eye-shaped wound on the top of my index finger knuckle. It was pretty deep I thought and wide so I instantly announced I needed stitches. When I tried to look more blood started spurting out. All over the sink and counter so I clamped it down tight with dirty washcloth next to the sink. It wasn't filthy but had probably been used to dry dishes or something like that. Anyway off we go to the emergency room. When we get there we are told it will be at least an hour until they get me back. The ur nurse at the counter says, oh let's get something clean on there here is some gauze. I say that I can't take the pressure off as last time I did it squirted. She says, oh it's fine I need to see the wound anyway, and, I'm sure it's good now as it's been long enough. Now I'd had this thing clamped from the time it squirted until now without letting up any pressure because in my mind I was going to bleed to death if I let off on the pressure. We lived maybe 15 to 20 minutes from the hospital so it had been at least that long. The lady pulls my hand down to her face and with a cloth in the other hand goes to swap out my dirty disra. When she pulls the disra away there is a jet of blood that sprays all over her, the nurse's station and all of her paperwork in front of her. She pretty quickly covers it back up with the clean gauze and all I can mutter is, sorry, while trying not to laugh at her splattered with my blood and looking a mix of flustered and terrified that I was really badly wounded. Did you know if you squirt blood on a nurse you get brought back immediately? I did try to warn her. Mom too. But hey we didn't have to wait. I nicked a nerve and some other minor things but a good amount of stitches later I was set. Although 10 plus years later I still have a good scar on top of that knuckle and a tiny bit of numbness on top of my finger that never went away but no permanent damage beyond that. Plus it's a great story all these years later when the family is around. Mom has never suggested using a razor blade for any cutting project again and she was very apologetic about it. The next post from I have no fish only water is titled won't cancel my internet unless you're unable to provide service. Okay, so, when I was living in the city, I had a contract with my internet provider. Rogers, for my fellow Canadians, after a year in my apartment I decided to move in with my then boyfriend, now husband, on a farm. A farm on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere. So I call to cancel my internet. Me. I need to cancel. I'm moving him. Interrupting me. Your service moves with you. You signed a contract for X years and it only ends early if we are unable to provide service. Me. You are unable to provide service. I'm moving to a rural area. Them. Not possible. We provide service to many rural communities. What's your new postal code? I provide it. That's for town name. We have service in town name. Me but I'm not living in town name. That's just my postal address. I'm living on a farm outside of town name. Them, repeats contract speech, with the additional offer of an absurd buyout fee if I want to cancel my contract early, without cause, Q malicious compliance me, fine. You know what, I would love high-speed internet instead of shitty satellite internet. When can you come? The install guy had to call me three times from the van. Twice because he was lost and a third time because he was stuck in a snowdrift. When he finally arrived it took him about 30 seconds to determine that there is obviously no infrastructure for high-speed internet. I offered him hot coffee for his trouble coming out and he happily cancelled my service free of charge and accepted my equipment return. Cost Rogers a 3-4 to four hour call out when you count the drive, 
just to try to keep one impossible contract. Edit to add, wow, this went a little crazy overnight. Thanks for all the upvotes and awards everyone. Smiley face. The next post from what mate is titled okay, I'll open up the truck. This is not my story, but something I heard had happened to a previous driver of the truck I drove for a while. I'm not sure if this skims rule 4, but I'm sure that the mods will let me know. I'll tell you the context from my perspective first, then what happened to the previous driver. On with the show. So, I was working for a company that subcontracted to an international freight corporation who had depots in Brisbane and Sydney, Australia. Every afternoon, I used to drive the truck around to the International Freight Corporation Brisbane depot to load up, then drive it halfway to Sydney overnight. I would swap trucks with my counterpart that was coming the other way in another truck, then drive that back to Brisbane, unload, and go sleep in my own bed. Sweet driving gig. Now, some of the freight in the truck was domestic, but most of it was international that had just happened to land in Brisbane, but its final destination was Sydney. Because of this, it was still under customs bond, and as a result, the International Freight Corporation staff completely locked the back of my truck, and I did not have a key. The only other key was at the International Freight Corporation depot in Sydney. I instructed them how to load it, I strapped everything down, then they locked it up tight. This will be important later. Now in Australia, each state manages their road network, and especially for trucks, they have waybridges placed strategically that are staffed by inspectors that have a huge amount of power. If they deem that something is even vaguely out of spec, they will make you park your rig until it is fixed. I heard of one driver who got made to park up because his B-double was 50mm too long. These inspectors can go over your truck with a fine-tooth comb if they want, to determine not just roadworthiness, but also if it is loaded correctly. They have the authority to make you open up the back of the truck to check your load is properly secure. And this is where we finish the setup context and get to the malicious compliance. So, the previous driver, who we'll call Jim, had loaded his truck at International Freight Corporation, they locked it up tight and Jim drove off down the highway. He got called into the Weybridge, where one of the inspectors had decided to be extra malicious with everyone that night, not quite understanding how it was going to backfire. The inspector demanded that Jim open up the back of the truck. Conversation as follows, Inspector, open up the truck Jim, I can't mate, I don't have a key inspector. I don't care, you're not leaving here until you open the back of the truck Jim, are you sure? Okay then, Jim called home base and told them what happened. Home base called International Freight Corporation, and the ball of shit starts rolling with ever increasing speed. Because it was an International Freight Corporation secure truck, it took them 8 hours to get the International Freight Corporation branch manager and the International Freight Corporation security manager to the Weybridge with a key. And because it was customs bonded freight, they bought with them the head of customs in Brisbane, the head of the Australian Federal Police in Brisbane, and they also roped in the director of the state's transport authority. Some of the biggest transport and customs heavyweights in the country descended on this power-tripping little Hitler at a roadside Weybridge. Rumour had it he suddenly developed a stutter. Now I don't know what happened to that individual, but from then on, International Freight Corporation trucks still went over the Weybridge, but they were never inspected for roadworthiness. If one of their axles was a little overloaded, the driver was given a fine, which the company paid, and waved on to continue driving. The next post from the rank badge is titled I would love your conservatory. Dot. Was just reminded of this whilst reading another post. So years ago I worked in a pub in the centre of Edinburgh. We used to get a ridiculous amount of sales calls from a company in Dundee offering us a special offer on a conservatory. After explaining many times that we weren't interested and were a basement bar, 
we eventually relented and told him to come and give us a quote. So the installation guy turns up at 1pm on a Saturday, in August, to a packed bar, looks around, looks around again and walks up to me. Is there a beer garden or outdoor area attached to pub? I'm here to measure and quote a conservatory. His face when I told him we had no outside area and had explained to the sales guy on repeated occasions we were in a basement was priceless. Felt sorry for the guy, he went out to the street and his shouting down the phone at the sales guy was so loud the comedian couldn't be heard. We never got another call from that company again. The next post from Craig653 is titled College Book Return. So one semester in college I was taking a finance class. I bought the book, $300, a couple days before the class started at the campus bookstore. Two days later I had my first class and the professor announced that we didn't need to buy the book. She was giving out a free PDF of a different similar book. Wow, saved $300 buck I thought. So after class one went to the bookstore to return it. Well the store clerk said, I can't return it now that the semester has started unless you have proof of you dropping the class. I explained the book wasn't needed anymore and that the professor was using a free version of a different book. I even talked to the store manager. And the problem is enrollment is closed so I could drop the class but not re-enroll. And if I didn't take it this semester, it would set my schedule back a year. Oh I was mad, so what did I do? I started sorting through school policy. Turns out, you can actually enroll into any class late with professor permission. So what did I do? I went to my professor, super chill lady. Awesome class by the way, and explained how I was a poor starving student and needed to return the book. She was like, let's do this, so the next day I tried to return the book again, no go. I then dropped the class online on my phone in front of them. Then said look I dropped the class. And got my 300 back. Then said hold on I need to re-register for my class 1 have a permission slip from the professor. And used their computers to register. Ha 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 manager was kinda dumbfounded. The next post from Brother P is titled So you create a bogus account in my name and refuse to cancel until I pay the account. Okay, sounds like a good plan. My school was getting some work done on the HVAC system, and the contractor, hired by the district, not the school, needed some parts to complete the job. The parts vendor arranged to ship the parts to the school, and I was asked to meet the courier truck, not naming names but it rhymes with dead wrecks, after hours and put the parts where the contractor would get them the next day. The parts came, the contractor made the fix, the HVAC worked and all was well. A month later a bill came from the courier service in the, misspelled, name of the school. It cited, remote access fee, of $195 and, lift gate fee, of $180. Add tax and the invoice totaled over $400. I passed the bill on to our facilities department with instructions to pass it on to the contractor. They did it, it was off my plate, and all was well. A month later a bill came from the courier service in the, misspelled, name of the school. It cited, remote access fee, of $195, a, lift gate fee, of $180, a late payment charge of $30, add tax and the invoice totaled over $430, I passed the bill on to our accounting department, cc'd the facilities department, and asked them to deal with it, and all was well. A month later, a bill came from the courier service. This went on for six months. Facilities didn't want to deal with it. Accounting didn't want to deal with it. The solution was for me to call and try to get the bill cancelled. Gritting my teeth, I called their billing department and spent the next 10 minutes arguing with a thoroughly unpleasant collection guy. He explained that due to the difficulty with the delivery location, they opened an account in our name and issued the bill. 
he grew increasingly belligerent and insisted I pay or he would send it to collection. Despite this being a meaningless threat, I agreed and hung up. I went to to my secretary and asked her for a check in the amount of the most recent invoice. I then asked her to open an account in the name of the, the courier service and created an account disputation fee in the amount of $400 and a telephone argument fee in the amount of $600 and referenced the account number on their invoice. I sent the check to their collections department and the invoice to their accounts payable department and all was well. A month later, a letter came from the courier service. They cancelled the invoice. The next post from John 317 is titled I have to return a cable box damaged in a fire. Okay, but it's gonna stink up the place. In the summer of 2007, I was working in NYC and living in an apartment across the river in Weehawken. One morning, I got a call while I was at work. My apartment was on fire. The fire started on the floor above mine, and my floor, and most of my belongings, were heavily damaged. A few days later, I called the cable company to cancel service and they demanded that we return their equipment. I was like, ah, my apartment had a fire. That equipment is toast. They insisted that they would keep billing me until I provided proof that the equipment had perished. So I showed up at the local office with the remnants of the equipment, which still reeked of smoke, and dumped them out on the counter. They agreed to cancel my service. The next post from Lemony Sweets is titled You want me to call every foul. You got it. Dot. I just remembered this as I was watching my kid play soccer. Back in high school I worked for the parks and recreation for my town. One year they needed some more referees for the little league soccer matches. I needed the money, and it worked with my schedule, so I signed up. We went through all the rules so we knew what to call and how to whistle and all those things, but we were refereeing for six and seven year olds so we weren't expected to treat it like a higher league match. A little bit into the season, I was refing for a game with these cute little kids, and they're having a good time. But, they are having little violations pretty consistently. I made the decision I wasn't going to call every single one, only if it was pretty blatant or bigger, like they use their hands, or if they grabbed someone and shoved them out of the way or something like that. And that seemed to be working just fine. Until the parents. A few families had parents like what you see on TV, screaming at their kid and telling them to be super aggressive and all that. After a bit some of the parents start yelling at me, did you see that? Or, come on, ref. Open your eyes. Etc etc. I wasn't about to get into it so at first I ignored them, then when that didn't work, I started just kind of shrugging or nodding or whatever. And then these few parents started to get pretty aggressive, so I turned and I said something like, they are seven years old, they're going to make a bunch of fouls and stuff, if I call every single one they're not going to even be able to play. And the parents are like, do your job. Trigger malicious compliance. I called every single thing for the rest of that game, which was like 30 more minutes at that point. Those poor kids had the whistle blowing every 10 seconds and they barely got to play. It felt awful for me to do it to these kids who just wanted to play, but it felt delicious to have it blow up in the parents' faces. At the end of the match everyone was in a bad mood and the poor kids just sort of slumped off the field. The next time I refereed that team I was back to my old way of doing things and had no complaints this time, so I guess it all worked out for the kids in the long run. TLDR, as a referee for seven years olds playing soccer, football, parents demand I call every violation. I did and it ruined the game for everyone. Next game they didn't require it. Today's last post from the freaking princess is titled We have to ask permission to schedule patients. Okay, dot. This is not my own MC but if I were in the right department I totally would have jumped on the bandwagon, and I have mad respect for the schedulers who I work with.
I provided maybe too much context for this story, so TLDR at the end. So I work for a medical imaging facility. We have a scheduling department that has been under a lot of pressure in the past month or so to fill our schedules and get our numbers up so that we look better to corporate. In the midst of this happening, the hospitals in our area have put a pause on all elective surgeries as a result of the pandemic, but the management at my company has refused to acknowledge how that might affect us, and instead opted to put even more pressure on our schedulers and blame them when our schedules are not full. Also I'd like to add that the metrics that they are using to grade the schedulers are dumb. Instead of requiring them to make a certain number of calls per hour, they are requiring them to schedule a minimum of 25 patients per day. You can make 60 calls a day but if the patients you call don't pick up their phones, then too fucking bad. They have also been on a tear about noting in the chart if a patient can't come in earlier than their scheduled appointment. For example if a patient requests an appointment a week out, they are supposed to offer weekend and evening appointments and if the patient still says no, it needs to be noted. One of our schedulers is literally referred to as a saint by everyone in the company. She is the sweetest woman I have ever met, and although I'm not a religious person, she is the ideal form of Christian. She is non-judgmental, thoughtful, genuine with everyone, and she really cares about all of our patients. We threw her a little birthday party a couple weeks ago and she hands wrote a thank you note and brought it in the next day most people just send an email but she went the extra mile to express her gratitude. This saint has been under even more pressure than the rest of our schedulers because her numbers are consistently low. Never mind that the woman has worked for the company for 18 years and never makes a mistake, they are constantly publicly announcing that she scheduled fewer patients than anyone else the previous day. So this week, management sent out an urgent IM to all the schedulers basically saying, instead of noting in the chart that a patient can't come in, please ask permission from your manager before scheduling a patient further than four days out. We need to fill the schedules and hope this will help us reach our goals. Immediately, they get about 15 responses from every single scheduler, except the saint of course, saying that this is stupid and what the hell does management think they are going to do that the scheduler can't. But management ignores it, so our saint continues doing her job and almost immediately gets a patient who can't come in for a week. She sends an IM to that group chat so every single scheduler and manager on it can see. John Doe, MRN number 12345, patient states he cannot come in because he will be out of the state for his job, is it okay to schedule him for October 9th, the day after he returns? The first time, management just says sure, whatever. But then Saint does it two more times. Jane Smith, hash, she has children in school and the first date she isn't tied up with their school activities is October 14th, can I schedule her? Janice Cho, hash, she can't drive anymore and her children aren't available to bring her in until October 8th, can I schedule her? One of the other schedulers comes out from behind her cubicle and says, you know we can see those messages you are sending, right? Saint just grins. Finally she sends her last message, the fourth patient within about an hour and a half, to which a manager finally responds, you don't need to message this chat with that information. The chat goes completely dead for a little bit. About an hour later the manager of the entire state sends out a message saying, after re-evaluating, we have decided this is not effective. Please resume noting in the chart when patients cannot come in for four or more days. Saint came up to me near the end of the day, happier than I have seen her in weeks. They think I was doing that cause I didn't know better, dot but I was doing it on purpose. TLDR, management sent a group message telling our schedulers to ask permission before scheduling any patient further than four days out. One scheduler immediately started asking permission in the group chat and management backed out of the new rule within three hours.